All right. It looks like we are live. It feels like we are live. Do you feel like you're alive, Steve O'Hayes? Dude, I do. It is Feel Good Friday. Feel Good Friday. Feel Good Friday. Yay! <laughs> feel Good Friday because we're leading into Martin Luther Monday. Martin Luther Monday. That's right. You get an extended weekend? Happy holiday weekend. Yes, Come I on. do. Come Thank on. you, Martin Luther King Jr. for the extra day of off, but for much more than that. We'll get into that yeah. momentarily. <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, Joseph Mojo McCarthy with Steve Hayes. We are together, what we used to call modern day nerds, but we've realized we are really Ooh. old school nerds. Yeah. <laughs> so this is our third take uh, on this particular platform. We are multi-streaming even as I speak on the Wisdom platform, which is social audio only, as well as through uh, the advantages of modern technology, multi-streaming on LinkedIn and YouTube and X, Twitter, whatever you might want to call cool. that, Facebook. Uh, and I would add more, but then it costs more. So, you know, we'll just go with what we got. And uh, I'm down here in Southern California. And Steve, where are you this fine day? I'm up in the great Pacific Northwest, up by Seattle area. Pacific Northwest. So we're covering the West Coast, man. We got it top to bottom. Right. We got the left coast covered. I don't know about you right coasters, but I bet you it's a lot colder where you, you are this time. Of year. <laughs> I know it's funny today because it it hit uh, the the on the radio today. They're talking about, hey, stay safe and stay inside. And I'm like, it's 20 degrees. I mean, you and I both grew up in the Midwest. 20, it's 20 degrees. And we're talking about staying safe. I'm like, really? Yeah. That's when in, in the Midwest, they start putting long pants on at 20 degrees. That's right. But only for half the day, because then once the sun comes out, then you go back to your shorts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do remember one one morning, one brutal morning, uh, Montana, where I grew up delivering newspapers and we had to have all the newspapers on the porches by 6 a.m. And it was windy and icy. And I can't many remember how many times I fell underneath that bag of papers. And then I would have to crawl out from underneath the bag because I couldn't stand up underneath the weight on the ice. And I'd have to pull the bag off the ice and put it back on. And I got to this one door and a lady behind a very thick screen. I couldn't even see her. I could just hear her voice comes to the door and says, Sonny, aren't you cold? I said, yeah, of course I am. She goes, do you know how cold it is outside right now? And I said, please don't tell me. And she goes, I just heard on the radio that with the wind chill factor, it's 40 below zero. And all of a sudden, my whole body just went. Yeah. <laughs> I knew she was going to tell you when you said, don't tell me. I knew she was going to tell you. <laughs> don't tell me. And just by knowing how cold it was, I actually got colder. And I didn't even think that was possible. But here I am to tell the story. How about right? that? You survived 40 below. I remember at the school we went to, I remember one winter when it was 100 below zero windshield. It was windshield, but it was still way below zero, dozens of degrees below zero. But the windshield was 100 below. So I, I put my jacket on just so I could say I walked in that stuff. Right. And people don't believe That's it out here. But I mean, you remember when you, you take a glass of water, throw it up in the air and it it disappears. It dissipates. It turns to snow. Where, where'd it go? It's, it's gone. Yeah, like that. <laughs> and every time I, I get in a situation like that, I do it again because I I'm like I I must be fooling myself. That didn't really happen, did it? I've done it several times. I'm like every time, it, it just disappears in the air. You know, freezes. Yeah. Yeah. For those that don't uh, know, Steve and I met in college in Minneapolis, where they know how to do winter there. They do it very oh, well and, and very I, long. I do, yeah, long, right? I do remember one storm, Steve-O, and I can't remember exactly what year it was, but this would have been in the mid-1980s, maybe late-1980s, uh, where they it dumped like 22, 23 inches of snow overnight and just shut the whole city down. And you we could walk from our campus to downtown. So and nice. so we're like, there's no traffic. I mean, even the snow plows weren't even, yeah. couldn't even work in that conditions. So we just walk right down the center of the main street through these major skyscrapers. It was like living in a different world Pretty there. Cool. Yeah. I remember when I came out here to the Northwest, my wife was from out here and we had just gotten married. Um, she moved out to our, you know, obviously I was I working out in, in Wisconsin and we went home for Christmas and it was the, it was a snowmageddon of 95. You can tell you get <laughs> old and you start saying stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And so I remember back in the day, we, we didn't have cell phones back then. So I heard my name over the PA, which was pretty awesome, which Steve Hayes, please pick up a courtesy phone, you know, and I pick it up and it was her dad saying, um, we can't come and get you. We can't, all the roads are ice or, and I was like, 
there's no way I'm staying at the airport for Christmas. There's no way I'm stuck here, right? So I went down to the rental car. Nothing was moving. There's no buses, no anything. So I went and got a rental car, and they were they said, "Do you, would would you like chains?" I was like, "Chains." I mean, I had no idea what those even were. Chains. We didn't wear, you know. I said, "Is that front wheel drive?" They said, "Yeah." I said, "I'll take that." And and Joe, it's a twenty minute drive, and it took us over four and a half hours to get there. I mean, but the the cool crazy part is like, if you ever seen. I am legend with Will Smith, you know, when everything is, it, it looked like, it looked like the apocalypse, right? The, the road was so icy. It wasn't so bad for us. I knew how to drive in it, but out here, you said Minnesota does storms. Well, they don't do storms. Well, out here, people <laughs> parked the car in the middle of the highway and it wasn't even by an exit. They parked the, I don't even know where they went. They left the car in the middle of the highway. And so I was driving through this, like this, like a parking lot. It was just, I was going four or five, six miles an hour going around all these cars. They just abandoned the cars in the middle of the highway. And where did they go? <laughs> exactly. They disappeared like the water when you throw it in the air. They disappeared too. That's right. They opened their door and poof, just turned I made it though, but it was just like, it was just like in Minneapolis. The cool part about, about being snowed in and you feel like it's okay for you to chill. It's okay for you to, no pun intended. It's okay for you to, to relax. You know, you can't go anywhere anyway. And I just... I just think we should have that mentality more often. Like, why do we have to wait for snowmageddon to hit for we can give ourselves the freedom to relax and to enjoy life and to enjoy the company around us? But those were some good memories. Yeah, what I remember too, uh, another great lesson from those days is when we got snowed in, we could have all complained about you know the inconvenience of it. I, I mean, I remember having to shovel my car out of the snow banks because the plows would come by, and if you didn't get off the street at the yes. right time, oh. they just plow the snow right into your car, mm -hmm. right? And I came back from Thanksgiving break. I think you and I were on tour together with the that student group Harmony back in the day. Yeah, came came back, and the snow plows had gone several times while my car was parked on the street, and so it took me like a full day of just shoveling the snow off. And I think like about every six inches of snow, I would find another parking ticket that said, you shouldn't be parked here on this day. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, what I think was what I was trying to say <laughs> is that uh, because of our mentality back in those days, I mean, this was this was an adventure. This was an opportunity to, to do something you couldn't do any other, you know, walking down the middle of the main right. street of Minneapolis right. with no cars, feeling like it's a it's an apocalypse and taking uh, Rob and Kurt's car down onto the the icy lake that they had for skating in the park and just doing doing yeah. the spin of the donuts and you know and then try to get out of the park <laughs> before we got stuck in the snow. Just lots of fun adventures. Um, but but that all that's a reminder that life does dump storms on us, right? Uh, usually unexpected, sometimes much harsher than we had anticipated. And like when we were in college, we still have that opportunity to so face the storm with hey, this could be fun. This might be something we've never tried before. How do we make a game of it? How do we enjoy something that, because the conditions may never be duplicated. Or like you said, we can just say, well, this sucks. And then let's wait until the storm goes so that we can get back to our normal life. And I'm like, as you and I, <laughs> you and I are the nerds because we're like, normal is way overrated, right? Right. Right. Too much normal. Let's 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 embrace the the abnormal and be it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, abnormal is normal because you know every no one every, no one is alike. Everyone is different, but we try to be like everybody else. I mean, that's really what abnormal is. And I mean, that's a, that's a great illustration. It's a great segue. The whole idea of when life throws storms at you, we know the storm is going to come to an end. So we can enjoy being stuck in our. If you if you got good friends or you got family around or whatever, you've got to some video games or whatever, you enjoy the storm because you know it's not going to last forever. And, um, you know, I, I think when we get in a storm, the first thing we'll do is we want to get out of it instead of, wait a minute, like you said, the, the, these circumstances will never be reproduced. You're going to get through this thing. Um, and it's not easy to go through storms, but I think there is a mentality that we can have where we can enjoy the moment and be in the moment, even if it's stormy. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think of, you know, uh, even outside of the snow situation down here in Southern California, there's a place called the wedge. And when the conditions are just right, usually because of a storm, huge waves just pound in the surf. Right. And a lot of people will stand way back and take pictures and, and just view the awe of the ocean. But there's a few people who will actually get into the water 
And this is a chance for them to enjoy the surf. Now, of course, they have to know what they're doing or they could get themselves killed. And unfortunately, people do get hurt there uh, during these storms because they don't know what they're doing. But again, this invitation that when life throws stuff at us, if we are prepared, right, if we're not taken off guard, if we can draw on the experience that we've had in the past and realize, hey, I've survived lesser storms. What, what can I do? How can I make this an adventure as well? And so it's not just about enduring the storms, but sometimes it's riding the surf because it is these crazy conditions, right? That that I might not get to do this uh, another time. And you you think of of sea captains, the the stories they tell are the ones when the swells were huge and they thought they were going to die and they figured out how to ride the storm out. And then those are the great stories that they tell. Yeah, One of my favorite pictures um, I saw a long time ago. I'd love to get it. It's a picture of this great big huge storm um, where the huge swells, right? And there's a lighthouse there, a great big huge black brick lighthouse uh, that go just goes up forever, you know? And the, the waves are just hitting way up on the lighthouse and the waves are coming all around, splashing around. I mean, it's it's monumentous. It is gigantic. It is, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, it's epic. These waves are just like almost engulfing that lighthouse. But on the other side of the lighthouse, where the waves can't reach, there's the the guy that's in the lighthouse, and he's having a cigarette break. He's smoking a cigarette while the storm is going on around him because he knows he's safe. He knows nothing's going to knock that lighthouse down. And, I mean, that brings comfort to me to just know that, you know, if if you're prepared, if you've got got good people around you, you've got – I mean, look at all the things that we've gone through, and we have made it through everything that we've gone through. That's why we're still alive, you know. And that that picture just – it brings comfort to me to, I think a lot of times my biggest problem isn't the storm. It's my perception of the storm and my reaction to the storm, to be honest. Certainly. Yeah. It's very natural for us to think when things go south, that somehow that's, it's bad. It's not good. And I'm going to die and it's going to be the worst case scenario and things are going to fall apart and it's the end of the world as we know it. But as the song said, (laughs) I feel fine. How do we feel fine? Is we're, that's not. I'm not, not talking about uh, being, re, you know, being ridiculous or being just uh, denying the fact that the conditions are harsh, but just understanding where are those spots where I'm safe? Who who do I want to be with? Who do I want to ride the storm with? Do I can I learn to ride the surf and make it actually fun rather than scary? And that of course that takes a, a lifetime of experience and then reflection and understanding how far we've come. But I think that is. I think that's the adventure that we're all called into, that the storms come and go. Are we just going to hide out? Are we going to just hunker down? Or will we embrace the uncertainty of the storm and say, hey, man, how how can I really grow and learn and try something new and experience something I wouldn't experience in any other condition? Which I think is a great segue into what we want to talk about today with Martin Luther King Jr. So there's no way that I can fully understand the conditions that produced Martin Luther King Jr. But I I know the history, but I only know it as an observer from the distance, right? right? But he was, he was living in it. And, and, and is in spite of the fact of all of the beautiful things that he said and did with his life, he was in the midst of a chaotic storm. And some of it was incited by his own words that the people who didn't want the type of world he was talking about, some of which were like from his own community, he was facing right. criticism and haters and detractors. And of course, as we know, it was even killed for his beautiful ideas of unity and progression, progression in our society. And so as we move into the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday this weekend, uh, I think it's a great opportunity for you and I to discuss, you know, how did, what can we learn from the Martin Luther King Jr.'s life not just his speech, but also his actions and how he he actually not only dreamed of a better future, but did anything and everything he could to to bring people along into that vision, into that dream that he had. Yeah, well, I mean, when we, I was going to say this earlier, and now it comes up again, uh, but, you know, we get the day off on Monday, but he paid a pretty large price for us to have the day off on Monday. Right. Um, and it wasn't just his life. I mean, his life when it was ended, it was also his life when he lived it. 
I mean, when his life was ended, it happened like that. It was a gunshot. He was he was gone up in heaven, right? Now he gets to look back on his life and go, hey, you know, we did it, <laughs> you know. But the life that he had to live before the gunshot actually was, I mean, like you said, I I don't know the whole thing. I wasn't there, but I can only imagine what he had to go through. And um, even watching movies about his life and documentaries and such, you know, even the people that were in his camp, like you said, he was in, you want to talk about a storm. He was in a storm. In fact, he, he said at one point, he, I heard a, uh, a documentary of another person talking about him and he, and he, he liked to go to these little, little cafes in these small towns back, you know, back in the, back in the places that are, you know, diners, dives and whatever. Right. And he'd always say, Hey, you want to go there? We can get something to eat before they arrest us. I mean, seriously. I mean, everything, I mean, he had the law after him, even people in his camp that agreed with him that wanted equality and justice didn't like the way he did it. You had a whole bunch, you got Malcolm X who went at it a completely different way and you had his followers and, and, and Martin, I mean, I don't, Joe, I don't know how in the world he survived that storm. And if he just would shut his mouth, if he just would shut his mouth, it would all go away. Hmm. You want to talk about a man, a man of, of honor and distinction and a, a hero. And, a, you know, we've described, you and I both came up with a description for a hero. It's a person who does the right thing at the right time for the right reason. And, you know, the, there's a statement that's been around for hundreds of thousands, hundreds or maybe even thousands of years sent from the Bible that, that just said, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends and he laid down his life for a bunch of people he didn't even know. And I think it was because he had a dream. What else would cause you to do that? Yeah, agreed. And that's a great uh, way to push this conversation into this idea of dreaming. So dreams are really um, a manifestation of our imagination and our imagination can go any direction at any time. We know when we sleep, our imagination takes over and creates realities that have nothing to do with the laws of physics. In fact, everything's morphing and changing. If you can even remember your, your dreams, generally they are pretty bizarre based on our understanding of our reality. Yeah. But how do we, so Steve, I, I'm just really curious. I'm re really interested in how do we take this inspiration of Martin Luther King Jr. and just imagine how did he first come up with a dream because he's imagining a reality that doesn't yet exist, but believes so wholeheartedly and soulfully in this vision of what could be, in spite of all of the evidence to the contrary, that he pursued it with all of his heart, as you said, in spite of, or perhaps even because of, the negativity and the pushback and the resistance um, he's like, let's, you know, let's go eat until we get arrested or before we get arrested. Right. So he was fully aware of the controversy and the pushback he was getting and yet continued that right up until the end of his life. And I, I just think if we can dig into this deep enough, perhaps we can all get inspired to dream our own dream and to pursue it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that that's a, that's a potent thought and comment. Right there. And I think one of the reasons why he had this dream, um, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think that had God had had set, set a fire inside of him and said, you need to do something about this. He, he just felt this need to help people. And uh, but I think I think you can only live in a storm for so long. And at some point you get tired of it, especially when the storm is stoppable or it's controllable. You know, it wasn't just that nature showed up and and caused injustice. It was mankind was doing it. And I think, you know, how did my my sister had a statement that she written, wrote down, actually was written down in her Bible. Um, it said something about we only make we only decide to change when we can no longer tolerate, you know, the current situation. Basically, I'm, I'm butchering the, the statement, but I just think he got to the point where he just got fed up. And here's the thing that's amazing to me, though. I mean, usually when I'm angry, when I get fed up, I'm ready to put bring the fist. I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter, right? But I get angry enough, I'm going to fight, right? When I get riled up, I'm going to return to violence. Yet he was riled up. He was angry. He was 
tired of the injustice and he had a reason to be. We hate injustice too, but he hated it to this extreme. Of, I don't even want to say extreme because it wasn't extreme. He hated it. What's what's a word bigger than hate? I mean, he abhorred injustice and it, it ate at him so much inside, but he didn't fight back with his fists. When I get angry, I want to fight back with my words. I want to fight back with with um, my fist. I want to fight back. I want to do something even passive aggressive. And yet he took the stance of, you know, hate, hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. And yeah. darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. So how in the world, how does a guy can't even eat without the threat of getting put in prison, the hatred towards him, and yet he turns the other cheek. That's the part that's amazing to me. And that he stuck with it. He never quit. He just kept going on. What an what an amazing human being. Yeah, and um, it, it is remarkable. And I mean, there are not, not many people in our history that we celebrate with a national holiday. And But I, I think it's uh, such a great reminder that Martin Luther King Jr. didn't have a dream that we would have a national holiday named after him. Right? Yeah, that that right. wasn't a, what that wasn't his purpose, and I'm not sure he would care about that one way or the other, I, I, based on what I know of him, which again is very limited. But he did care about, as you said, he did care about the conditions and the treatment, not only of himself but of his his loved ones, his family, and as you pointed out, even people who didn't agree with him and who treated him poorly. So he somehow, it just seems like a miracle almost, he somehow tapped into a bigger, deeper, more powerful, not only a more powerful idea, but a belief that he could somehow push not just himself, but others, inspire others to change their minds so that they could believe for a better world. Because it's pretty clear from what I've seen and what I've watched that there were many who didn't think that change was even possible, yeah. that the system was was rigged and it was permanent and it was going to be bad and it's going to get worse, right? That's the belief system of many of the people that Martin Luther King Jr. took the time, energy, effort, spent his life to help people believe that it's even possible that there could be a better future for all, right? <laughs> Regardless of race, color, creed, and all that kind of stuff. And how do you even convince, how do you convince people that that believe that? I mean, he constantly faced a resistance, but even resistance from people that want to believe what, but they don't believe it. And so you got to con convince your own team that you know, we can make a difference when I guarantee you, he felt doubt too. I know there's moments when he felt doubt, and I think you know there's got to be a ton of heroes out there that um, that don't get any spotlight. They were the ones that encouraged him when he was ready to quit. In fact, the whole "I have a dream" speech, he wasn't even going to give that speech. And the, right. the it, he was it was you know a march on the Capitol, and uh, the reason he was the last speaker that day because nobody else wanted that spot. So he said, "I'll take it." And he was only supposed to have like five or four or five minutes, something like that. He went like 15. But as he was going, it was Mahalia Jackson, a gospel singer behind him that said, tell him about your dream. And I, she must have heard him preach or something like that. Like must have been a, you know. And so that that's where the I Have a Dream came from because somebody else pushed him to share that. And I think the heroes that I would like to honor here, and we don't know who those people are, but the people that, and I would say this. Because the people that are alive today that are doing that, and a lot of his people that knew Martin Luther King are alive today, and they're sharing their story, right? But so, number one, I would say I'd like to honor those that were the ones that inspired the inspirer. They're the ones that kept Martin Luther King going. And then I would bring it down into us personally and just say, but when we encourage people, we pour courage into them. That's what the word means. When we encourage somebody we pour courage into them. I've talked with, you know, before in live cast with you, but Joe, that's one reason I can survive because I've got friends like you. I've got a handful of friends, not a lot, three or four, something like that. And you're one of those friends in my life that have inspired me because inspirers get discouraged too. We only see them on the stage. We see them when they're doing their videos. And I've made it a point when I do my social media to also do social media when I'm not on top of the world, right? Because I think people need to see reality. They think they need to see humanity. 
you know. Um, but when we encourage people, that's what a hero does, and it's a lot bigger than we think. And and I I I, I just think that's pretty cool. The people that inspired him to keep on going. Yeah, well, I, I love what you're tapping into here, Steve. Here because um, what I'm hearing as you're talking is the the dynamic tension between I and we. So his mm. speech, Martin Luther King Jr. was, I have a dream. He didn't say you're supposed to have the dream or this is our That's dream. Good. He said with great passion, with great conviction, with great resolution, which is a word we're going to get into, I have a dream. And he painted the picture through powerful metaphors that drew this idea in, in, the, in the listener's ears and does even to this day about a world that we're not living in, but it is possible. But he used the words, I, he said, I have a dream. And he did it with such incredible conviction and passion and, and perfection in, in the way he chose his words. And I love the fact that you pointed out that isn't even the speech he was going to give that day. And in fact, from what I understand, the speech he started to give that day wasn't really resonating with the crowd. And the crowd was kind of restless at that point. And that's when Malia Jackson said, give him the dream speech. Right. And, and once he did, then, and you can see it on the video, you can see that suddenly the inspiration, the motivation, the, the spirit within him wells up and what people who are listening to me or to you aren't listening for me to tell them what to do. They're, they're actually listening to see, do I believe what I'm saying? Right. And this, this is what I learned from our friend Rick Olson. He said, an audience isn't listening to, to decide if they believe what you're saying. They're listening to see if you believe what you're saying. Wow. Say that right? again. That is so yeah. good. So, so when, so this, this, I think this is why Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, I have a dream is considered one of the most powerful speeches in history, at least in recorded history is because it wasn't just a transfer of information. It was a transfer of enthusiasm, of power, of conviction, because an audience consciously or subconsciously isn't listening to say, uh, if whether whether to decide whether I believe what you're saying, they're listening to say, do you believe what you're saying? Wow. And if you do, but he says, I have a dream. And he says it with such great conviction. Now that gives me opens up that that seed of possibility that says, whoa, if he believes that right. to be true with such great passion, with such great conviction, right. with such, you know, that maybe that and that's really the question the maybe it could be true. Maybe I could believe that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I like where you're going here. I love that. You you just mentioned the I you mentioned I and we. You just mentioned I party said, I have a dream. What was the we part? So the we part, right? There's lots of we going on here. The we is one Malia Jackson who's listening and supporting, sitting right behind, right? Martin Luther King Jr. when he's given that speech. And has the audacity, right, to say, change your speech. It's not working, brother, <laughs> right? And, and so here's someone who not, who isn't at the microphone, like you said, but is supporting the inspirer, giving them the feedback that they need. And just think Martin Luther King Jr. in that moment had to make a decision. Should I go with where I thought I was supposed to be going or listen to my friend here behind me? That, that's, that's remarkable. But then there's also the I-we between he as the orator and all of the listeners, all the ears, here's a we. And he's saying, I have a dream. I believe I, and he's saying with such great conviction that it, people in their ears are saying, maybe I do too. And the I becomes a we as the light, right? He lights the candle and starts passing it on to all those out there who've got a candle, but it's not lit. So he's lighting somebody else's candle where they could say, Wow, I I can carry this light as well. I can pass this light on as well. I mean, it's it's a remarkable spread from the I to the we, and that's really where the power of this of the story goes. Is that it wasn't just Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream? Because imagine this, Steve. What if Martin Luther King had this dream all along in his life and never told anybody? Right. The I never the I never becomes a we. Right. And we've never heard about it. So good. And, right. And the change that's happened as a result may or may not have happened. It certainly would have happened because he shared what he believed. Yeah. And if you listen to his other speeches, uh, have you listened to the speech where he got the Nobel Peace Prize? Was he receiving the Nobel Peace Prize? I don't know. Maybe. It, it, is, it is worth checking out. But in that speech, here he is getting the Nobel Peace Prize, and he spends, a, a, I would say, the majority of his speech 
talking about the we, mm -hmm. talking about the other people. He kept, I mean, at this point, I mean, you're the man. I mean, you're getting a Nobel Peace Prize. That's one person. That's a pretty big honor. And instead of talking about, at that point, instead of talking about the I, he talked about the we, he talked about the they. He talked about the people that got him there. He even mentioned, you know, we got on the plane, he says, and we all thank the pilots. But what about the people that got the plane in the air? What about the people that, and he talked about the people that nobody else noticed. So he was constantly going to the we, right? I love that whole thing. He didn't just, like a lot of leaders say, follow me, you know, lead, follow, get out of my way. You're going to follow me or else. Not Martin Luther King. He just said, I have a dream. And he believed it so much that everybody wanted to follow that. I mean, if we lived our lives that way, imagine how different our world would be instead of just saying, you have to feel this way. You have to believe that way. You have to, wait a minute. If you believe that way, then show me by your life how you live that. And I just might jump on board with you. Your I might become the we, but we tend to forget that I part. We don't forget, we, we tend to, we forget the I part where I have a dream and we just say, you got to feel this way. You got to believe this way. You got to do this. You got to, and we don't even have an I or we at that point. When it's you, there's no longer I or there's no we. It's just, and we skip that point of saying, wait a minute, I need to have something of substance in my life that I believe in so much. And I believe everyone has that. We might need some help pulling that out, but we have to start with the I and then we have to believe that and that we will follow. But when we're just going to try to force people to do something, and he was one of the most powerful movements ever, I think, in the history of, of mankind, honestly. And you look how Hitler did it. He did it out of hate. He did it out of bitterness. He did it out of racism. He did it out. And Martin Luther had a as just a powerful movement, in my opinion, as, as Hitler, but he did it out of love. He did it out of an I and a we concept. That is, Joe, that is such a great way to word it. And it, it's, I just want to point out, it's not an either or, right? Uh, the story as it unfolds, it's a both and. Mm. So um, Martin Luther King Jr. has a dream and he, and he makes it very clear. And and the I have a dream is just one of many amazingly powerful, beautiful things that Martin Luther King said throughout his life. We'll touch on some of those uh, as we go along. But what I want to remind myself, even as I'm reminding anybody who's listening, is that it's not an either I or we. There's a both and going yes. on here that it has to grow inside of me with such conviction that I and that I can see it. I can believe it's true. And I will do anything and everything to push towards realizing that dream and enlist as many people as I can, uh, uh, um, invite as many people as I can. Yeah. Right. So you talked about two different kinds of leadership. There's one that is force and power. You have to, right. You don't get a choice, right. but then there's the influencer that says, here's an invitation to do something yeah. worthwhile, to do yeah. something purposeful, to do something meaningful, to jump onto a, uh, a movement that won't just make your life better, but it'll make society better. It'll make yeah. history better, yeah. right? And so it is that, that spreading, that germination from the dream that God has given Martin Luther King Jr. And I believe God has a dream for each of us and not only absorbing it, and allowing me to believe that, that I can do that or that it can be true, but then inviting others to dream your dream. Let's work together. How can I help you fulfill your dream? And you can help me fulfill mine. And maybe, just maybe, we'll leave a legacy beyond the 40, 50, 60, 70 years that we walked the earth. Yeah, what he was, he, I mean, I hear him saying, this is what I'm going to do. You want to join me? Come yeah. on, join me. I'm, this, I'm doing it. Whether you come behind me or not. I'm doing it. This is my dream. I'm going to move, but I would love for you to come and join me. Yeah. And so when someone has a, a vision, a goal, a plan, a dream, how do you get others to come on board? It isn't, I mean, you can do it by force and power, but that's not sustainable, right? <laughs> History right. would tell us that, that that leaves only a pile of dead bodies in, in, in the wake, metaphorically and physically sometimes. Right. But for this to be sustainable, right? Uh, this invitation, somehow I got to transfer not just my vision, but the compelling reason why anybody would go out of their way, out of their comfort zone to to try mm, no, to be willing to step into perhaps even the line of fire of criticism and critique and hatred and pushback. But why would anybody do that when our natural inclination is, is to find comfort, right? 
Yeah. Why would we do that? Because, right, there's got to be uh, a, a, such a beautiful picture of a better future that, as you said, that is more interesting to me than just the same old, same old comfort zone that I've been in my entire life. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I think there's something about the fact that I, I love the the meme that I've seen out there, but it said something. It had Martin Luther's picture on there, and it says, you know, he looted no one, nothing. He burned down nothing. He didn't, you know, but he changed the world, right? And yeah. what's really cool about that is that there's something endearing that he was just the I part was, here's my dream, and I'm going to do it. I think people are looking for something to follow. They're looking for something, a cause worth following. And I think a lot of times leadership you know, there's a statement that's been around, also been around thousands of years, that's also in the Bible, but Jesus actually mentioned it. He said, he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is unfit. Like when you're plowing the field, if, you, if you're looking everywhere, your your lines in it before they had, even if you had a combine and you're just not paying attention while you're driving a combine today, right? It, it's not going to work, right? And a lot of us, we lead, but we keep looking behind us to see if somebody's following us. Martin Luther said, I'm moving forward. You can either follow me or not. It, your response has nothing, will not affect how, I, if I'm going forward or not. And I think that's true leadership. I'm just going to lead. Whether you follow me or not, I, I can't worry about that. I'm not in control of that. I'm not going to try to control you. I'm not going to try to force you into following me. But here is something that I believe in so much that I'm just going to do it. And I think kind of answer your, your question there to make the point is I think that we need to have something inside of us that means that much to us. We need to have something that's that important. And I think all of us have that. I just think sometimes life comes in, kind of kicks us, knocks the wind out of us, kicks us in the solar plexus, right? We And we tend to forget all about that. But there's something about ha having something that means something that we hold on to. We just say, I'm not, because I get mad if all of a sudden I'm expecting people, for instance, if I'm going to put out a podcast and I'm going to worry about the numbers all the time, or if I'm going to put out a video and it's easy to put out a video and then keep checking back to see how many views you have. Okay. And there's a lot of times both you and I, cause we've talked about this sure. more than you, but you and I have both been like, where's the numbers? What's the, what, I mean, why am I even doing this? But then you come to the point, I'm not going to look backwards and go, is anybody following me? No, if this is important to me, then believe it and move forward and that naturally. But if you're expecting people to follow you, people just don't want to do that. You know, but if you're just saying, I'm going to move forward and whether you follow me or not, people, I think they get on, on board with that. Is that making sense? What I'm trying to say there? Yeah. Well, so the picture I had in my mind um, is that, well, a couple of things. One is, yeah, my, my responsibility is the effort, right? Not the outcome. So right. Martin Luther King Jr. is such a so great good. example of that. He, he continued to do what he did with, with all of his might at, at all costs, right? And he couldn't control the outcomes and he knew that. So he just, he just con con concentrated his time energy on the effort. And I think that's that call for all of us is that um, we are responsible for our effort, but we're not responsible for the outcomes. And we have to be willing to continue with the effort in, in the face of, obstacles in the face of pushback in the lack of outcomes knowing that we're not doing it for the results we're doing it because it's the right thing to do this ties right into many of the martin luther king quotes that you, you quoted for me before we even went live here is that it's about a conviction so it, in essence as the leader martin luther king jr he's also a follower what's he following he's following his conviction mm, of so this good. dream of this calling that you might say to use a kind of a religious type of term, but even people who don't believe in God have this sense of calling. Like I am compelled something within me says I'm, I'm wired for this for such a time as this, it's a right? It's a purpose. a purpose. It's a reason yeah. bigger than us. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I think it was a, a Buddha quote that says that the purpose in life is to find your purpose and then to give your whole heart and soul to it. And this, this is the, this is the idea that Martin Luther King Jr. was a, a leader and a follower in the exact same moment because what was he following? He was following his passion and conviction and belief system that if I pursue, if I follow after this vision, this calling, then others may or may not join me, but that's not my purpose. My purpose is to pursue his effort and the outcomes are in, in, in God's hands. Yeah, like the line that's 
in the Bible. I guess I'm giving a lot of Bible quotes today, but <laughs> Paul, the guy who wrote most of the last half of the Bible, all those books, he wrote them. They were letters. And um, he said this in one of those letters. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. As I follow Jesus, you just follow me. And I think I love that whole term. I think that that Martin Luther didn't just lead, he followed. In fact, I would say he followed more than he led. I don't think, like you said, he didn't show up to say, I'm going to be so big, they're going to name a national holiday after me. That isn't why he did it. He had a, a vision, a dream, a purpose that was so big, he could not not follow it. But because he opened up his mouth, because he used love, because he cared about people, and he's I'm just people got behind that. They want to follow something with passion because we believe in passion. We believe in truth. Every one of us wants to do the right thing. And we see somebody that's doing the right thing, whether we follow or not, that just tends to lead us to follow that. So, and I think we have so much on leadership these days. Everything's about leadership. Everywhere is always, and I want my kids to be leaders. Well, what about your kids being followers? I mean, we don't have any followership conferences out there. We don't have any followership. People aren't bragging about, I'm a follower, but Good leaders are good followers. You can't lead if you don't know how to follow. And I love that imagery that you give there of Martin Luther King was a leader, but he was also a follower. And that's why he led, because he was following something bigger than himself. Yeah, That's why he'd go and knowing he could get arrested if he stopped. That's why he knew every time he got up to speak, there could be somebody with rifles pointed at him. He knew that, but he could not not do that because he had such a vision inside of him that he had to follow that. And there's something about, I mean, that's, it's arresting. It's a pain in the butt sometimes to want something that bad, to believe in something that bad. But boy, that's, that's, that's a happy life. When you have something bigger than you, it doesn't matter what storm there is at that moment. I got to do what I got to do. I, there are no other options. Yeah. Well, it, it defines right where happiness comes from in many respects, because circumstantially, uh, things weren't happy in Martin Luther King's day. Uh, he faced all sorts of um, repression and all sorts of judgment, all sorts of uh, negativity, yeah. uh, threats on his life. Eventually he was killed, as we know. And yet he realized that his purpose, as you said, his purpose is that he can't not do this, right? Yeah. That he has such a clear vision uh, and such a belief that it is possible and that he can be a catalyst for change that he he couldn't not do it and yes of course he could have quit every human has an opportunity to quit and i'm sure he felt like it at times he's a human just like we all are uh and yet i think that's that's what i'm pulling out of my reflection on martin luther king jr's life is that one if i'm going to be a great leader it's because i am a great follower Yes. Right. I'm following after something that is true and good and lasting and purposeful, not just the latest, uh, greatest, you know, happy, shiny thing. Right. And that's that's really where the, the farmer gets off if he's looking all around and can't draw a straight line because he get distracted by so many things. Yeah. So it does really require uh, a conviction, but also a focus and a commitment to follow hard after that, that vision that you know is going to be a better future than any other possible route. Yeah. And boy, that's, that's just so compelling. Yeah. I like what he said in one of his speeches, he said the, and this talks about how bad it was back in the day. Like you said, it wasn't, it wasn't. And even when Jesus showed up on earth, it was a horrible time. It was right. a horrible time. And yeah. we look at today and you hear a lot of doom and gloom people out there. Well, it's in doom and gloom. What do you do in the doom and gloom, right? You can talk about the doom and gloom or you can do something about it. And Martin Luther King said this. He said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where, and this is it's just people, right? Man or woman. But the ultimate measure of a human is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Ooh, read that again. So good. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Yeah. You know, I don't know why my mind goes here, but there was that Pixar movie, uh, WALL-E, where the humans go oh, up in a spaceship, Wally. right? WALL-E, Eva. And WALL-E's back on, the, on the, the piles of garbage that the humans left behind when they left the planet. But they're... 
in a ship that provides every comfort, every convenience. They're just, you know, sunning themselves in utopia on the ship. But when there was a challenge, when there was a threat, not only did they not know what to do, they, they couldn't even stand up. They, they, they had no, no resilience, no grit, no, no muscles, right? No, 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 no yeah, no, no, no reason uh, or way method to respond to the inevitable challenges. That's why I love Martin Luther King Jr.'s quote that you just read there is that really what defines us isn't the comfortable times when we when we're not when we're required to do nothing. But when the challenges come, what are we made of? That's what tests our metal. That's what not only does it test it, but it actually builds it as as we know in muscle building, it's in the tearing of our muscles when we've strained them beyond uh, what was natural, what was comfortable, that our body says, go repair those muscles and make them stronger than they were. So this doesn't happen again. And that's that metaphor for when we are challenged, when we're stretched, when we're willing to be uncomfortable for a purpose, right? A very compelling why, then even though it feels like a tear, that's when we're being built up so that we're stronger and realize, hey, I, I made it through that obstacle, over that obstacle, I made it through that storm. I, I can do this and I can I can learn how to ride the waves rather than just stand on the beach and take pictures. And go, and full circle to where we started talking about the storms. One thing that causes people to survive the storm is because they have no other choice because they are so driven by this, this thing inside. They have a purpose in them that's so strong. They, they believe in this thing so strong that they don't, we don't got time to worry about the storm. I got too, I'm too busy pursuing something bigger than me that the storm comes if you don't have that purpose then you nitpick your life gets small and pretty soon you don't like the fact that there's a storm and you want it to all go away and our humanity naturally wants comfort there's no doubt about it we want comfort right but when we're pursuing something bigger than ourselves um the storm we don't have time to worry about the storm i've got another i've got a mission that i've got to do and instead of we're never going to live a life where we get rid of all of the all the problems, all the storms. And when we do, those people usually turn up to be pretty spoiled and spoiled things end up smelling and you end up having to throw them away. Right. Uh, but, but when we want a life that we don't have the struggles in, it doesn't work that way. It, it, we stop living at that moment. We just start existing. And it, even though it's natural to want comfort and to get to the shortest space to where I can get back into comfort, when you, when you got something that's driving you, that just gets in the, it, the the storm. It just kind of gets in the way. You're like, I just got to go through this thing. I don't got time for this right now. I've got something bigger to focus on and to do. And that's what Martin Luther King, that's what he did. The poor guy was arrested. He was possessed by this dream. It wasn't just a dream. It was a, uh, a possession that all men would be equal. That, you know, my children would hold hands with white children and, you know, uh, it just, he's a, quite, quite the incredible human being. Uh, what do you say? Right. Absolutely. You know, and what, uh, I can't help but think of is that Martin Luther King Jr. Just like every other human was born a baby, didn't have the dream, that particular dream, you know, when he came out of his mother's womb, grew up in whatever circumstances and whatever home, but with, uh, with the same human DNA, you know, that we all have with the same limbs, with the same senses, with, with the same potential, and yet does something historically monumental to which we are the beneficiaries of this day and continuing uh, to fulfill the dream that he had when he was here. So I guess my question is, Steve, I'll have to get your take on this, is that how do we, because we, um, it would be too easy to say, well, it was just him. There was something special about Martin Luther King Jr. And so, right. you know, um, he's the only person that could. And could you know why we do that, right? It takes, it removes us from responsibility at that point. If That's he so wasn't right. one of us, if he was a special human, then it relieves me from the pressure that I have to do something along those lines. Yeah. But, but again, I, I think you nailed it right there is because that uh, natural tendency is to say, so that I don't have to. But what if we flip that? And we give ourselves at least the possibility that it's not that I have to do something like remarkable. It's that I have the potential. I actually get to as a human being with all of the senses and the 
brain and the blood and all the things that make me what I am and my connection to uh, the rest of this planet, I have a life that gives me an opportunity to do something purposeful, yeah. something remarkable, yeah. something that, yes, it might be difficult, but I, I can't help it. Every, every time I get to the end of a Survivor episode or a season, there's a one person at the very end who says basically the same speech, but with their own words. This is the hardest, most grueling, most impossible thing. If anybody had told me what it would cost and how awful it would be, I would have said, no way. Not only does it sound awful, but I don't want to do it. And I probably couldn't do it. And yet here I am. It's the best thing I've ever done. And some of them actually go back and do it again. And I'm, first of all, I think like, well, that's what parenting feels like oftentimes. But I, I think that's that's that invitation, that reminder that life is going to be challenging. It is going to be difficult. There will be the naysayers and the pushbackers and the fighters who are really testing yeah. to see, do I believe what I say I believe strong enough to push through the storm so that one day at the end of my life, will I be able to look back and say, yeah, it was way more difficult than I ever imagined. If you'd have told me all the stuff that I had to go through, I'd say, no, I, I'm not even built to that. I, I, I can never do that. And here I am. It's right. the coolest thing. It's the best thing. So how do we how do we cultivate that, Steve? Oh, I mean, how do we how do we tap into that same potential that was in Martin Luther King Jr. that's in all of us to to dream big dreams and then to pursue them even in the face of adversity? Well, you look at all these heroes. You said it earlier. You said Martin Luther didn't do this so that he could have a national holiday named after him. He never thought he was going to be big time. He just saw a need. He saw someone he wanted to help. Um, Mother Teresa, she didn't plan on, on, on making the change she did. She just saw a kid who needed a house, needed a right. place to live. And she said, why isn't anyone doing anything about this? And I think God was like, why aren't you doing something about it? Right. And we, it's easy to sit back and say, boy, we need another Martin Luther King Jr. Well, you're that. You're that. Martin Luther King was just a human being like you are. And he just made a choice to serve somebody. Here's the good news with all that. I don't know if this is answering your question or not. So you can ask it again if it isn't. But the good news is it's not difficult. All Martin Luther did is he saw a need and he went to do something about it. All Mother Teresa did was she saw a need and she just tried to help. Here's a quote from Martin Luther King that is just so potent. He said that everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. And I think if Martin Luther would have looked at this and said, I've got to create a movement that's going to take over the entire nation. I've got to create a movement that is going to, I think it would be overwhelming to him. But Martin, he didn't see that. I've got a speech. I've got a, he just gave a speech, right? Rosa Parks had no idea when she you know, sat in the, in the front of the bus. She had no idea the movement that she was creating. If she did, she would have been afraid to do it and she might not have done it. The point I'm trying to say is, is what we've already been talking about. It's following, it's serving. Every one of us can serve. Every one of us can encourage. And we don't know the person that we encourage, how many times that that person went to encourage somebody else or they didn't quit because of our encouragement or maybe a few other people's encouragement. And all Martin Luther did was the same thing that Mother Teresa did, the same thing that every hero, every revolutionary ever did. He just served. He just saw people that had a need and he served. And that's what makes us great. We want to judge it by the numbers of people behind it. We got to stop that. That's this whole social media environment. We, what if we didn't have, what if we didn't know how many people watched our videos? Would it change anything? What if we didn't know how many people listened to our podcast? Would it change anything? What if we had no way of judging what we did? Would we do it anyway? That's what I want to be. I want to be a person that has a, that has a purpose so great that it doesn't matter what anyone else does. And what Martin Luther King is doing here is he says, anybody can be great because anybody can serve. Find someone who needs something and serve them, love them, help them. And if nothing else, just don't jump on the hate bandwagon. Just don't jump on the, the division bandwagon. You know, he also said, um, you know, let no man pull you so low as to hate him, right? He was all about love. So I think, bottom line, to answer your question as good as I can right here, is just love, just serve somebody, just one person. Don't worry about if it goes big or goes viral. 
just the people, the best YouTubers are those that do their thing and they never went viral. And yet they keep doing their thing. Those are the people we should be listening to, you know, in my opinion. And so I don't know if that answers your question or not, but. Well, I love what you tapped into. And uh, Mother Teresa did say in her own words, she said, not all of us can do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. Yeah. And what she was saying is one isn't better than the other, right? We, we are the ones who are becoming the judges and the comparisons to say, well, if I can't create a movement like a Mother Teresa or a Martin Luther King Jr., who, by the way, were extraordinary in the history of mankind, there were very few people that have that particular calling, right? They were, they were built for that, for that time, for that place, for that season, and they obeyed, right, the calling, they followed the calling. But as you said, it was a matter of serving something greater than themselves. It wasn't just for their own comfort. It wasn't just for their own convenience, but they did s small things with great love, which in the end became great things. But I think uh, what I want to emphasize, because what I'm, what's what I'm hearing in my heart here is that it's really important in an age of comparison and judgment that we strip away the tendency to say, well, Martin Luther King Jr. and Mother Teresa were bigger, better humans Yep. extraordinary superheroes that that I can't do, I can't do anything because I'm not like them. They would laugh at us if they were here and heard that. They would laugh at us for saying that. Yeah, just just imagine all of the people that Mother Teresa served were considered less than human. She poured her love into people that had no status, no following, no power, no influence. Why? Because she saw the value of the human being and wanted to to ease the suffering. And that's exactly the mission of Martin Luther King Jr. He saw the suffering of the people and knew that there had to be a better way. So did whatever he could to alleviate the suffering, even if it caused his own. And boy, that's, that's not easy. But I do think it's one of those most compelling and fulfilling ways, as you've said, to spend the life that we've given. So this came to mind just recently, Steve, that in the end... Life is going to cost all of us everything. In the end, life will cost us everything. Our choices between now and then, are we just going to spend it? Are we going to hoard it? Or are we going to invest it? And Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, some of these great people of history, what do they do? Instead of just hoarding their resources or even just spending them, they invested them in another life and created a legacy that was way beyond just their own human existence. And they went from the I to the we, as we talked yes. about earlier, that, that my life isn't just about me. My life is about what difference can I make in those who are in my sphere of influence, not comparing it to anybody else's influence, because that's their life. My life is what can I give? How can I serve? And, and if we're going to bring Jesus back into this, as we've done many times, all of his disciples are like, "Hey, I want to be the, I want to be the greatest. I want to sit at your right hand. I want to be the influencer. I want to be the best. You love me most, right?" Which is all of us kids ask our parents, "Do you love me the most?" And Jesus says, "Here's a clue: the greatest among you is the one who serves the best, not the one who has the power, the influence, and the keys, and the office, and the titles. It's the one who is willing to put all that aside and say, my job.'" My calling, my purpose, my joy is to make someone else's life a little better. Even if yeah. it's never seen, it's never documented, it's never celebrated, it's never a holiday about it. But that's that's really the secret, right? Right. And when we try to measure it, we try to quantify it. We try to make it big, but we put the pressure on ourselves. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. It, it beats the tar out of us. Um, but none of, the, none of the heroes ever did that. They just did. In fact, when we when what happens is someone just decides to do the right thing and all of a sudden people start following and they get bigger. And then pretty soon it's easy to go back to now I'm doing it for for the following. I'm doing it for you know I'm starting to count the numbers again. You know, it's like when I decide to stop counting my strokes on the golf course, I start golfing better. You know, right. and now that I'm golfing better, I'm like, I'm gonna start counting strokes. And I start counting strokes and then I start golfing worse again. Right. <laughs> and so I would argue that, and I, I think that if Mother Teresa were here, if Martin Luther King Jr. were here, I think that they would agree with me. And it might sound a little, I don't know, cocky or 
way off or something like that. But I would argue, and I think that they would agree with me or I wouldn't say this, but I think if they would argue when you do something nice for somebody, when you serve somebody, it's the same thing as I did. Martin Luther King was an orator. He was a communicator. He led to speak. So then he spoke. The doors opened up and he would go speak at a church, at a rally, at a, that's what he did. What do you do? Do you make things? Do you encourage people? They're all the same acts. We just because someone gets a bigger number, get get a bigger, does not mean that their thing was better than yours. I mean, it. I think that Martin Luther King. I wonder if he ever rolls his eyes and you know, roll, or rolls over in his grave, or he's up in heaven looking down at us, and he just, you know, here we are celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and we're trashing somebody, you know, or you know, he loved those who hated him. He said, "Let no man." bring you down so low that you hate that person. Right. And, and so, um, you know, we want to honor him on one hand and we put all the screensavers and all the, you know, Instagram posts and we do all that type stuff, but then we call someone else an idiot, right? Or we flip somebody else off or we're mean to somebody else. You know, we, it, it would be like honoring, uh, mother Teresa and then walking past the homeless person on the street or ignoring the child there. That's got no, I mean, so my whole point is, if we're going to honor Martin Luther King Jr., if we're going to celebrate that day, I think they would say that the best way to celebrate it is you just go serve somebody, just go love somebody. And really, it really is that simple. Don't worry about the numbers. Don't worry about how big it gets. It's not about that. It's about serving people. And when you serve people, you always win. You might not get noticed. doesn't matter. It'll come back. It's called karma, right? It's called uh, whatever you want to call it. You just serve people. Just love people. And if you're going to honor somebody that loved people, then do it by loving them, not by saying, oh, that guy was great. And then go out and, you know, trash somebody else. Does that make sense? Yeah, very much so. And, you know, I, as I'm thinking about Mother Teresa and, and Martin Luther King Jr. and Jesus himself, uh, what they saw, and so it guided their life, right, to talk about them as a follower, what they saw was the dignity and value and worth yes. of every human being, regardless yes. of their status, yes. creed, color, bank account, followership. There was nothing, yeah. right? There's nothing about one human that made them more valuable, more worthy of dignity and respect and love than any other human, right? Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King Jr. both did that with such conviction is that Whoever they were talking to, it, they weren't. Whoever they were serving, it had nothing to do with their status. Had nothing to do with what they had to give them back, or what Martin Luther King Jr. or Mother Teresa would receive. They gave because they saw what I want to see in every human being is the worthiness, the value, the dignity, and believe that every single person deserves to be loved just because they are. Yeah. Because they are human, right? And that's right no love well. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm going to close out here. We're, we're right at an hour and we could talk at length. Uh, you and I have no problem with the talking part. But it, it brought to mind um, lyrics of a song by Martina McBride, which are really challenging, uh, but I think appropriate. And she sang this song called Anyway. And she, she wrote, you can spend your whole life building something from nothing. One storm can come and blow it all away. Build it anyway. Mm. You can chase a dream that seems so out of reach and you know it might not ever come your way. Dream it anyway. Wow. Right? God is great, but sometimes life ain't good. And when I pray, it doesn't always turn out like I think it should, but I do it anyway. I do it anyway. She said, this world's gone crazy and it's hard to believe that tomorrow will be better than today. Believe it anyway. You can love someone with all your heart for all the right reasons. And in a moment, they can choose to walk away. Love them anyway. God is great, but sometimes life ain't good. When I pray, it doesn't always turn out like I think it should. But I do it anyway. I do it anyway. The final verse is, you can pour your soul out singing a song you believe in that tomorrow they'll forget you ever sang. Sing it anyway. Yeah, sing it anyway. I sing, I dream, I love, 
Anyway. I do. Anyway, that is so that is so spot on. And when you take the pressure off of you have to score a certain round, you know, when I score on the golf course, it, it changes my game. When I take the pressure off, I have to have this many views or I have to get this big or I have to. That's a terrible pressure and it will bear, bear you down. It will beat you up. Right. But when you just serve to serve anyway, love well, love well. Yep. Yeah. So if you who are listening, who have tuned in, thank you so much for your participation. And those who hear it afterwards, appreciate it. if, if you want to do anything to honor the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., of Mother Teresa, of all those who have gone before us to give us a word, a world, right. That's much better than we might have received because if they, if they hadn't done what they did, our job, like, like Steve shirt says is to love well, right? We don't have to do great things, but we can do all the small things with great love. So I challenge you, don't do it for the outcomes, do it because it is the right thing. Follow your heart. So until next time, this is the old school nerds, Joseph McCarthy and Steve Hayes, right? Encouraging, encouraging each other and encouraging you to just do it anyway. Love well, love each other, be kind, and be kind to yourself, be kind to others. Until next time. Until next time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Bless you all.